Tuesday. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh, my goodness. If you were listening to last week's set of shows, almost notably Fridays, you would know that today, Mock Draft 6.0 is getting released. Yes, it's a very exciting time. It's so exciting. Great time. Great time to be a fan of the Logan Blackman Show. We are just under two weeks away from the 2021 NFL Draft, and this will not be the last draft I will be doing. I will be tinkering with it as we get close to the draft. Probably the day of the draft, I'll release a final one, and then we'll be set. We'll be good to go for the 2021 NFL Draft. We're going to try and do some things with the Logan Blackman Show for the draft to make this more entertaining and get you excited for the draft, give you some in-depth analysis for myself and myself. Uh, well, we might do it with other people like we did last year. Time will tell on that. It's still time to decide on what we're doing for the draft, but I'm very excited. Very, very excited. Mock Draft 6.0 will be revealed later in the show. It will be released today, so make sure you go on the LoganBlackmanShow.com. Links will be posted on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, so make sure you go and click on those. Just look at it. Just scroll on your team or whatever just to view it. And again, we'll get to that in a little bit. But what I want to start off today is something that got announced today. So today's Sunday, April 18th of 2021. And we have just got a massive bombshell in the world of soccer. So for those of you unaware, the European Super League has officially been announced. And this is, for those of you unaware... Even if this thing, if you knew this thing existed, but you didn't really know what it was all about, it's bad. It's not a great thing. So it involves a lot of the biggest teams around the world. As most of the big names that you would expect are there, but there are some that are outside of it. AC Milan, Arsenal, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Barcelona, Inter Milan, Juventus, Liverpool, Man City, Manchester United, Real Madrid, and Tottenham Hotspur are all going to be involved. So these are basically the most financially rich clubs in the world. But surprisingly, like I said, there's a couple teams that are out of this. That's PSG, who are in a league that they have dominated ever since they inherited all that money about 10 or so years ago. They have had a stranglehold on the French League, League 1, for a while now. It used to be Lyon was the big dogs there. Now it's definitely PSG. They're not involved. They're usually one of the biggest money-hungry clubs in the world. They're not involved. Bayern Munich is not involved in this. The reigning Champions League champions. Now, they just got knocked out of the Champions League groups or the Champions League quarterfinals by PSG, but they're not in it. Borussia Dortmund is not in it as well. Bayern Munich's biggest rival in the Bundesliga. Napoli is not in it. A massive club in Italy, one of their more historic clubs, is also not in it. This is not a great thing for the world of soccer, for those of you who, I'm going to continue saying this for those of you unaware. This is basically meaning, this is, greed has taken over the sport. And this has been coming for a few years now. This isn't something that just randomly popped up. This has been talked about for the past few years now in the world of soccer. But now it's, it's here. It's here. So we might see FIFA expel players apart from these teams that are trying to go to the World Cup. They might be excluded from those teams. There's a lot of good players on these teams, especially on the English national team that take part of Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man City, Manchester United, and Tottenham. The big six 
are all going to this. And they're going to just travel across Europe playing each other. So how is a fan that goes to these games, like they've grown up, grown up in Manchester. They have wanted to go to Old Trafford for games, for club games. Oh, they got massive games. And then now their away games, instead of being in Leeds or just, I mean, in London, which is not that close to Manchester, but or Newcastle or Leicester or Birmingham or something like that. No, their away games are now going to be in Madrid and Barcelona, which is nice for a Champions League night. But this is going to be their entire season. And this also means that domestic leagues are basically going to be useless because the Champions League is going to be useless as well. Because not the big, none of the big clubs are in it anymore. Like in the Premier League, we would expect Leicester City, Everton to be the top dogs in the Premier League. You would expect Sevilla, Athletic Bilbao to be some of the top dogs. Villarreal, those are supposed to be the big dogs apparently now in La Liga. France, PSG is still there. Germany, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund still there. Italy, Napoli, Lazio. Those guys will be the big dogs over there. So this is sad, really. And then here's a little description. I found this on Instagram explaining it more. So if you still have some questions about it. So the European Super League is a proposed league with some of the biggest clubs in the world in it. It has no promotion relegation. It has two groups of 10 teams, 20 e- 10 teams each, 20 total. After the group stage, eight teams will compete in a knockout to win the league. Think of it as a European MLS. It has had an overwhelmingly negative reception from the public and pundits alike. Most notably, pundit came to come out against it is Gary Neville, Manchester United, England legend, right back for so many years for Manchester United, who said it's an absolute joke. It's pure greed because this will give them a massive financial advantage over everybody. And then we're, we're, it's going to be weird. Now there's 12 teams that have announced they're in it, the big six in the Premier League. Even though Arsenal just drew with Fulham today, they're apparently in this now. They're sitting at mid-table in the Premier League right now. Well, Aston Villa, I believe Everton, sit above them in the table. I know Everton sits above them in the table. West Ham sits above them in the table. But they're they're financially stable, so they can go. And then they're going to try and figure out... Oh, I guess this... Well, the, when I said Napoli, Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, PSG... They're not in it yet. These are just teams that have it. So technically, they're not in it right now. But they very well could join. I thought these were teams that were not going to be in it, but turns out it is. PSG makes a lot of sense. They always go where the money goes. Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, the two biggest clubs in Germany. RB Leipzig, I would not be surprised if they went in there as well. Their founding was very frowned upon in Germany because they have a very big uh, sponsorship rule. So, like, they're in the Red Bull clubs. They're in those things, like Red, New York Red Bulls, Red Bull Salzburg, those kind of teams. They're Red Bull Leipzig, technically, but because Germany won't allow them to do that, they're RB Leipzig, which they had to change to Rajin Ballsport Leipzig, and their sponsor on their shirt is not, if you haven't noticed, the Red Bulls. It's not Red Bull sponsored. It doesn't. It's similar, but it's not exactly that because Germany has a big problem with that even though teams like Wolfsburg were founded predominantly by Volks- Volkswagen and there's other examples of that throughout Germany but that's just the one I could think of off the top of my head and yeah it's not good and then it says what about the domestic leagues 
This could very well be the death of domestic leagues. Participating clubs are giving more of a financial benefit, which we talked about earlier. Less money directed towards domestic clubs. Less incentive to field a full-strength team in domestic competitions. All the big clubs play for the ESL, among many other examples. Champions League, again, would also be useless. If it does get implemented, don't watch the games. Don't buy merchandise with the clubs involved. If it doesn't get implemented, do the same thing. Show that we don't want this and all that. Remember, above all, support local clubs. They need your money more than these big clubs. Now, as I watched Manchester, that's not my... I'm reading this from the website. It's a terrible idea. Do whatever you can to spread hate against the league. Inform your friends and family. Show you don't want this to happen. Above all, sport, support local clubs. All in all, yes, it's not great. Greed, again, has taken over soccer, and it has for the past 20 years or so. We had a World Cup in South, in the Koreas. We have a World Cup in Russia. We are about to have a World Cup in Qatar. So we've had... This isn't new. We have known this for years, that money runs the world, and money, especially in soccer, means more than a lot of things. FIFA as a whole, and just soccer in general, is one of the most corrupt sports in the world because it's the most it's the biggest game in the world regardless of what you think about it, if you don't like watching soccer or you love watching soccer it's the biggest sport in the world undeniably there's a lot of money overseas especially overseas but these money rich these money rich countries have a huge say in whatever goes on in fifas it's it's very 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 corrupt organization but this ESL, the European Super League, again, all the big clubs are expected to be in this. So I'm very intrigued to see if this actually does go down. Now, Arsene Wenger, former manager of Arsenal, he called this about two or three years ago, saying that it was destined to happen, essentially. And we might be here. <laughs> now it hasn't. I guess it's not a thousand percent official yet. But it looks very likely to happen. In all the big clubs in the world, and again, I grew up a fan of one. I grew up watching Manchester United. Again, they were the only team that was on TV. I own Manchester United jerseys. But this is weird. And I don't live over there, so I don't really know the full embrace of that situation. I won't have to travel far away distances to get to these places especially for these lower league teams where they don't they're struggling financially as it is and now they're not going to get even they're going to get even less money now because they're not playing these big guys anymore. So I don't know. We'll see how this all goes down. We'll see if FIFA really implements these bans and stuff like that because this would also ultimately being they're leaving UEFA. They're just doing their own thing essentially. It's not great. Let's just, uh, just say it like that. It's not great. I don't have the full details on it now. Again, it just got really announced a couple of hours ago. So I don't have everything fully down for this situation quite yet. Now, we will have more about this hopefully come Wednesday's show. But time will tell. We'll see as we get closer and closer to this actually being announced. We'll talk about this more and more as we get more information. Because it's kind of sad for these lower clubs. The tradition is basically gone. It's all about money, which is about it's most of sports anyways is all about money. But this is a lot, a lot about money. 
So, yeah. Time will tell. But the NFL draft in the 17th game in the NFL, just like this back talking about the NFL, it's another thing. It's all about money. It's not really about player safety. No one really cares about player safety in the NFL. It's all about making money. It's how all these major sports leagues are. Don't really care about the people involved. It's about how can I make the most money. And in America, my dad and I were talking about this last night, about the NFL Network running rerun games. Like, my aunt was asking, why is this stuff on? Because we love ourselves some football. They're the same way over in Europe with soccer or football for them. That's why there's been so many tries at spring football, the AAF, the XFL, the Missouri Valley pushing their football season back to the spring, and then now we're expecting them to go normally in the fall. (laughs) So see how that goes too. And the FCS just released their playoff bracket. So we'll see how the playoffs go for the FCS, but they don't care about player safety. They might say it, and it sounds good, which is a lot of things that gets thrown around in politics, too. It's not really about what's going to happen. It's about what you want to hear. And, oh, player safety sounds great. Oh, yeah, we care about player safety. Yeah. And then they go, well, we're going to add a 17th game. Oh, we're going to push the Missouri Valley Conference football season to the spring. Well, that kind of contradict, which is everything at this moment in time in our world, not just in the world of sports and just the world in general. So, yeah, fun times. Fun times in sports right now. <laughs> Very fun times. Oh, man. Yeah. So let's try and take our minds off of it. And I know the NFL draft, it's a big, big, uh, what do you want to call it? Spectacle, I guess. If you take this back to when the draft was first starting, when Pete Rozelle was kicking this bad boy off in hotel rooms, it was nothing can compare what we're at now, or hotel dance rooms, or the conference rooms and hotels. It was not, it was televised, but no one really cared about it. It's kind of the MLB draft now. <laughs> and the MLB's got its own set of problems that we're not going to get into now. We talked about that a lot last year, but we won't dwell on the MLB's issues at this point in time. Most notably the blackout situation. But I digress. But it's the draft is massive. And everybody loves it. The NFL draft is easily the most watched draft in the sports world. Like if you look at all the other drafts in American sports. We got the NFL draft, the NBA draft, the NHL draft, the MLB draft, the MLS draft. There's a lot of drafts around there. Like people only care about the first, what, 10 picks in the NBA draft, maybe we'll push it out to the entire lottery. Maybe we'll do that. But most people don't really care about the NBA draft. No one cares about the NHL or MLB draft, especially no one cares about the MLS draft. No one cares about those drafts. But football, we care about football. And baseball could say they're America's game, but no. America runs off of football. Like, America America runs on Duncans. No... We run on football. <laughs> Everybody is motivated by football. Even if you don't really watch football, you know about football. It's not like you just never heard of it anymore. Like people can be confused like, "Oh, there's a NHL draft?" Yeah, there is. I'm pretty confident if you went out into the street, you could find a lot of people that say they don't watch football, they know the NFL draft's coming up. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm speculating at this point in time. But I'm excited. As you should be too. Because if your team's drafting the first round now, my team, 
did not draft in the first round last year, which was very weird to see. I didn't really have a lot of input in the draft last year in regards to my team, but I had a lot of input for a lot of other teams that drafted as we did the live stream for four hours during the 2020 NFL draft. But this year, they picked 30th. I remember growing up and trying to figure out who the Bills would take at these high picks. I remember watching the draft over my Nana and Papa's house, my dad crying that the Bills need to draft an offensive lineman, and they draft C.J. Spiller. Now, C.J. Spiller had one good year in Buffalo, and that was pretty much it. I remember how hyped we were when the Bills drafted Marshawn Lynch and Trent Edwards, and then they traded Marshawn Lynch, but that was needed at the time. He needed to get out of Buffalo, and Trent Edwards was Trent Edwards. That's <laughs> pretty much it. But drafting 30th, you don't really have a lot of expectation. My dad doesn't really know a lot of these players that are going to be falling to the Bills at 30. He just He's more in the fact of he knows the two running backs, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Those are the two people he's leaning towards. But there's a lot of people that will be available, obviously. There's seven rounds of the NFL draft. There's hundreds of players that won't get drafted. So, well, there, there's a lot of options for the Bills sitting at 30. But at the top of the draft is where we really care about. We really care, especially sitting in that third pick. Good Lord. Because the Falcons, though the Falcons could do a lot of other things with their fourth pick, the 49ers are doing one thing, and that's drafting a quarterback. But who that quarterback is could set off social media. And I mentally prepared myself for it. I've got, I am locked in on this matter, that this will explode social media. So mentally prepare yourselves for that too, if it is the quarterback that most people out there think it is. Again, that's just think. We don't know. We haven't heard it from the horse's mouth that it is the quarterback that we think it is. And I think you all know, if you're listening to the show, you know who I'm talking about without actually saying his name because we're going to reveal it in the mock draft. I'm not going to say his name now. But so, should we just get into it? Should we just get into the mock draft? Yes, we're about 15 minutes into the show, or a little over 15 minutes into the show, I guess. I think it's time we get into it. So starting off with the first overall pick, no no, no prizes for guessing who was first overall in the NFL draft. It's Trevor Lawrence. It's, Trevor, it's been Trevor Lawrence. It will be Trevor Lawrence. Now we just need to wait the announcement. That's it. That's all the analysis you're going to get from me. It's Trevor Lawrence. It's getting boring now. Just keep saying Trevor Lawrence because I like speculating like last year's draft. Or not last year's draft. The 2020 NFL draft. 20, geez, 2019 NFL draft. That was fun because most people thought they would take Kyler Murray, but they're like, they won't take Kyler Murray. Carlos have Josh Rosen on the roster. They're not going to take Kyler Murray. They're going to take Nick Bosa. Oh, they're going to take Quentin Williams. Oh, they're going to take Josh Allen. Oh, we're going to do all these things. And then they drafted Kyler Murray. That was fun. But these past two drafts, we have known who's going number one, and we have also known who's going number two. And that is Zach Wilson from BYU going to the New York Jets. It's been reported for the past basically year, and by year I mean just 2021 in general, that Zach Wilson was going to go second out of the quarterbacks. And Chris Morton says, we talked about this a lot recently, had said right before Zach Wilson's pro day that Zach Wilson's job to lose, meaning his job to lose for the New York Jets. A week or so later, Sam Darnold gets traded to Carolina, and now Zach Wilson is the presumptive pick with the New York Jets the second pick. Now, you could disagree with that, but if you're a Jets fan, 
and you want Justin Fields, I don't think it will happen. I won't rule it out, but I don't think it will happen. And you want Justin Fields, and you're getting excited for Justin Fields, and then you draft Zach Wilson, you're going to be all upset. Don't get upset. He's a good dude. He's a good quarterback. Just see if the Jets can surround him better than what they did with Sam Darnold. Time will tell on that. Third, it seems like it's happening. I get that Justin Fields had his pro day, and Kyle Shanahan and co. were all there. The Patriots were there. The Falcons were there as well. All signs continue until I hear otherwise from a bigger name source. I'm hearing it's, or I'm hearing, I'm reading, it's Mac Jones. Everybody got all hyped about Justin Fields in his pro day, and rightfully so. Justin Fields is a great quarterback. If I was the 49ers, I'd draft Justin Fields. That's what I would do if I'm the 49ers. But that's not what everybody's saying. Every single person that I hear from this thing is saying it's still Mac Jones. Even though after his pro day, Justin Fields did jump Mac Jones in the draft betting, the odds of going to San Francisco. His odds are better than Mac Jones at this point in time. But Mel Kuyper, Daniel Jeremiah, Adam Schefter even, have all said... It's Mac Jones. And Michael Lombardi, who, reminder, we talked about him bringing up the Washington football team and the Trey Lance links. He's got a lot of links around the NFL. He said that if it's not Mac Jones, it's Trey Lance, which is what everybody was pretty much saying at the time anyways, but I just, I don't want to rule out Justin Fields. I just don't want to do that because of the fact Kyle Shanahan's coached Justin Fields before. I don't want to rule... I know a lot of people out there are saying, at least the big names, are saying there's a small chance this happens. And it might be a small chance, but I'm not ruling it out because they have a relationship in the past. The 49ers were running basically the pro day because, I mean, this was common knowledge. It wasn't really the 49ers thing. They were just having a second pro day. And John Beck, who ran Justin Fields' pro day, and Trey Lance's guy, I can't remember his name, sorry, they weren't going to be involved. And all the three teams that were there for Justin Fields' pro day are going to be there for Trey Lance's pro day as well. So it wasn't like a one-off thing. It's happening this week as well, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember exactly when Trey Lance's pro day is. But it's all happening as well. But it looks like, until I read something that's concrete, because I know a lot of people are gonna are wanting Justin Fields to go third overall. A lot of people want it. I would want it to happen. But everybody else that's connected, set of fans that want Justin Fields, the people that are connected are saying it's Mac Jones. So I'm still going to put that, even though I would love to put Justin Fields there, even though I would love to put Trey Lance there, I still think at this point in time, I'm if I had to put a percentage on it, let's just put it like this. If I had to put a percentage on it, I'm... 50 on Mac Jones, 25 on Justin Fields, 25 on Trey Lance. Maybe even a little less for Mac Jones and more for the other two, but I'm not 100% sure at this point in time. Maybe 40-30-30. Maybe that's better. 40% for Mac Jones, 30% for Justin Fields and Trey Lance. Because I I would love it to be those guys. Because I rank them higher than Mac Jones. But I also think Mac Jones is a good quarterback. It's not, I don't want to bash Mac Jones at all. 
just because he's less athletic than these two. That's not saying a lot. Zach Wilson and Trevor Lawrence are less athletic than these guys. But we're not bashing them for getting drafted above them. But I I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not as connected. I'm just reading what the connected people are saying. I'm like third party connected here. The connected people are saying this. I hear what the connected people are saying. So I tell you who's connected to the connected people. See? So right now I'm still going with Mac Jones. Four, I'm still going to go with this because it just seems too good to have. I think it'll be Trey Lance going to Atlanta. I still think that's going to happen. There's obviously going to be the links with Kyle Pitts. And it makes 100% sense. I don't want to rule that out either. But I just love the fact of Trey Lance going to Atlanta, learning from Arthur Smith, learning from Matt Ryan, and all of that. It'd be awesome to see. Now, Justin Fields also makes a lot of sense. Being a Georgia native, playing at Georgia for a year, I'd like to see him there as well. But I'd, Trey Lance in Atlanta just seems like a great fit. And Terry Fontenot, the new GM, he's been very vocal about the quarterback situation this offseason. He said, I want to stack quarterbacks. They have no backup quarterback on the roster. Terry Fontenot seems like the kind of guy that would love to draft a quarterback with a high pick because I think he's in the same idea that I am at this. If you think you could win now, when is your opportunity to draft a quarterback? You don't have it. You're, you might have to, you're going to have to waste a lot of draft picks to trade up to get one. But then you can say that's worth it because you're getting a potential Hall of Famer in Kyle Pitts. Well, then I could throw at you, well, maybe Trey Lance is a potential Hall of Famer. We don't, we don't know who's a Hall of Famer and who's not. Ricky Williams was a can't-miss prospect, essentially. The, the Saints traded their entire draft for him. But I didn't, he's not a Hall of Fame player. Uh, Tony Mandarich was a can't-miss prospect. The incredible bulk. He was drafted before three Hall of Famers. Three. Those were Barry Sanders, Derek Thomas, and Deion Sanders. He's drafted second overall by the Packers. Drafted after Troy, Troy Aikman. Didn't work out. I love Kyle Pitts. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. But I don't want that label get shunted on him and then it doesn't work out. And they're like, well, look how massive a bust he is. We all expect him to be a Hall of Fame player. I don't want that for him. I think he'll be great in the NFL. I think he'd be great with Atlanta. I think he'd be great with a lot of teams in the NFL. But I love Trey Lance's ceiling, and I think the Falcons, with Terry Fontenot, would like to draft a quarterback with the fourth pick. Even though they've been very vocal also that they're open to trading the fourth pick, that's on them as well. If they really mean that they're going to trade the fourth pick, good for them. If they're just saying that, good for them as well. I think they'll draft Trey Lance. I'll move off of that maybe as we get close to the draft. But as of right now, I still think it would be Trey Lance. Five, Bengals, Jamar Chase. I mean, this is the same mock draft, essentially, as last time. Jamar Chase, the Bengals, Joe Burrow's there. They've got Riley Reef there in the offseason to play right tackle. Their needs are more centralized in the offensive line at guard and center. So you could address that in the later rounds. There's a lot of good guards that will be available later. We've already mentioned a few of them in last drafts. I think Landon Dickerson has a shot. They get drafted in the first round, but time will tell on that. you got Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. Wyatt Davis from Ohio State, Quinn Miners from Wisconsin-Whitewater, Trey Smith from Tennessee, Deontay Brown from uh, Alabama, Ben Cleveland from Georgia, Trey Hill from Georgia. There's some good interior offensive linemen that you can get 
in the later rounds. And then there's some linemen that you could probably flip to inside off the linemen. Like Jalen Mayfield is a prime example of that. The tackle from Michigan who has the ability to also switch inside to guard. So if you'd really want to do that, go ahead. You've got options. You don't need to draft a tackle or an off the lineman in the first round because you've got seven rounds. Like This is a long draft. And you have a need at wide receiver. It's not like this is just some glory pick here where you're just drafting like the Detroit Lions did in the mid-2000s. You had three drafts in a row where you drafted wide receivers in the first round. No. Your wide receivers right now are T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd, who are good wide receivers, but they're not going to scare anybody. And Tyler Boyd's primarily a slot guy. T. Higgins on one side, you put Jamar Chase on the other side, a guy that Joe Burrow is very familiar with and had great success with. That'd be very smart for the Cincinnati Bengals. And sitting at six, the Miami Dolphins take Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts, apparently, his camp wants him to get drafted by the Dolphins, played at Florida. He's not from Florida, but he played there. This would give Tua an excellent option in the offense. Young quarterbacks love themselves some tight ends. We talked about this during the last mock draft. We talked about this a lot, that young quarterbacks love good pass-catching tight ends. Phillip Rivers had Antonio Gates. Patrick Mahomes has Travis Kelsey. Uh, Emily, whoever's in San Francisco has George Kittle. Tom Brady had Rob Gronkowski. Peyton Manning had Dallas Clark. I know he had Rodney Harrison. Or Rodney Harrison. Had Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne there as well, but Dallas Clark was a big target for him. Eli Manning had Jeremy Shockey. Drew Brees had Jimmy Graham for a little bit. There's a lot of good tight ends out there in the NFL, Dak Prescott, Tony Romo, mostly Tony Romo, had Jason Witten. Like, we just have these great tight ends that played for these teams and helped these young quarterbacks exponentially. And you know, what, what would Kyle Pitts do for a guy like Tua? Be awesome. They drafted two tackles in the draft last year, so they don't necessarily need to go with an offensive lineman here. They can go with an interior offensive lineman later in the draft. But here you got to get a weapon. Whether it's Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts, or maybe you trade back or draft Jalen Waddle here, time will tell. But I think the Dolphins getting Kyle Pitts. You got Will Fuller this offseason. Great speedster, Devontae Parker. Uh, if he stays healthy, same thing with Will Fuller. will add a lot to the offense because Devontae Parker is a good wide receiver. When healthy. And then Tua. You have Mike Gusecki there, who's in a good tight end in his own right, but Kyle Pitts gives you that positional versatility that you don't really get from the tight end position. I even mentioned Shannon Sharp with John Elway. Kellen Winslow, Dan Fowler. Like, I just keep going on and on with how these Hall of Fame tight ends or near Hall of Fame tight ends help these near Hall of Fame quarterbacks. These are all good quarterbacks. They're all great quarterbacks. None of them I've, I've mentioned have been scrubs in the NFL that have just used their tight ends only. No, these are good quarterbacks. I think this would be the same thing. I love, I really, I don't want to say love. I like Tua a lot. I like Tua. And he's getting doubted a lot in Miami. If you want to silence the doubters, I think that's what Chris Greer and the upper management want to do. Kyle Pitts would shut everybody up. Or maybe it would add more because people are saying he's only good because he has Kyle Pitts. Who knows? But Tua would be fine because he has Kyle Pitts. I like this fit for the Dolphins. Seven, trade, Yes, trade. Have another trade. This one, I thought about it last week, and I really like the fit. And it's not a quarterback. I'll say that. It's the L.A. Chargers 
trading up for Panay Sewell, the offensive tackle from Oregon. Now, if Panay Sewell slips past the Cincinnati Bengals, I don't think the Dolphins will take him. The Lions are there, and they can do a lot of things with the seventh overall pick. They have a lot of needs on the roster. Lofts a tackle, maybe. But the Chargers, sitting at 13, aren't guaranteed to get Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater. Looking at my last mock draft where I had Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater going 8-9. and Chargers aren't going to be able to get these kind of guys unless they trade up. And the thing I like with Sewell, he was Justin Herbert's left tackle at Oregon. That's the connection there's are the connection's already there. The familiarity is already there. I think Panay Sewell, if you listen to interviews when they talk about the Chargers, would be very beneficial for not only Justin Herbert, but the team as a whole. I know he sat out a year, but the dude's a freaking beast. He would also open up run lanes from Austin Eckler. Like this would just be a great marriage, and that Justin Herbert would have a competent off the line, which is something that a Chargers quarterback has not said since LT won the MVP. In 2006. That's the last time a Chargers quarterback has had a competent offensive line. There's been a lot of weird situations going on with the Chargers offensive line where everybody gets hurt. Hopefully, knock on something here, <laughs> that that doesn't happen here. Pazanay Sewell's a beast. Got Matt Filer from the Steelers to play guard. Corey Lindsley's now the highest paid center in the NFL. That'll be awesome. Got the guard from Detroit. See if he actually starts this year. Still, I think Dan Feeney's still on the roster. We'll see if he starts. Brian Balaga's there at right tackle. Like you've got, you got one hole in the offensive line. And I remember, I th- well, I, I hope I remember that Brandon Staley, new head coach, said one of the off-season off, off goals is to protect Justin Herbert, get him some protection, which is something he didn't really have in his first year. Sam Tevy, who has been the left tackle for the Chargers for the last two years, is a fine left tackle. But you could definitely, definitely get upgraded on. Trey Turner didn't work out. You'd probably like Russell Okung back. That didn't work out. Mike Pouncey retired. Now you got people to replace him in Filer and Lindsley. Never replaced Okung. <laughs> so Trey for Sewell. I think that makes a lot of sense for the Los Angeles Chargers. Makes a ton of sense to me, anyways. And you'll read the Description more in the draft if you don't really know if I you don't think I explained it very well. Number eight, the Panthers take Rashawn Slater, the offensive tackle from Northwestern, the most versatile offensive lineman in this draft. Him and Rashawn, uh, Elijah Bear Tucker are very similar in regards to played a lot of positions in college on the offensive line. Could use that versatility in, uh, in the NFL. And Rashawn Slater, I think, is more of the finished product versus Panay Sewell, who is more of a I wouldn't say project because he's been a beast on the offensive line and we've seen him play as a, a very high level. But he's got the higher ceiling, I will say. He's not the finished product as opposed to Rashawn Slater, who's not either, but he's close. And he's a beast. Rashawn Slater's a great off to tackle and I think would really help Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers, which is something Sam Darnold's never really had. An off to line. Now they could draft a corner here. Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn. They could easily get drafted here. They could trade back and draft a corner. Those are very viable options as well, but I just, it's hard for me to envision Matt Rule passing on Rashawn Slater, who would also help in the run game as well for the Carolina Panthers. He's a great off to tackle. In 1,312 pass, pass blocking snaps, he gave up just five sacks. In 1,312 pass blocking snaps, he gave up five sacks. That's crazy. That's what Sam Darnold needs. So draft Rashawn Slater. At nine, we have another trade. 
Now, I think that a lot of people are exp- I could envision this team drafting Justin Fields. I, okay, we already know it's Justin Fields. I, that's no, There's no surprises for me saying that here. But a lot of people could expect the Broncos to take Justin Fields, and I think there's a very logical argument there that could be made. But I don't know if George Payton is ready to give up fully on Drew Locke, and I think they would rather, at least Vic Fangio, would like to address the defensive side of the ball first before investing in a quarterback. And there's three quarterbacks that you could date day two that could really push Drew Locke, i.e. Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask. Those guys could push Drew Locke. If not, trading for Teddy Bridgewater, who was drafted by the Vikings when Payton was with the Vikings, that would make a ton of sense for them. So I think that's more of what the Broncos would do, especially hearing from people that are connected to the Broncos. They don't necessarily think that they'd go after a quarterback. I think trading back is in their best interest because they have a very good roster, or a good roster. I shouldn't say very good. They have pieces of a good roster. They have weapons outside. They have a good running back. They are off to lines improved. You could definitely go after another off to lineman here, which is why I had Slater going there last time. Defense. You're pretty set, and we'll talk about the Broncos pick a little later. But the Patriots, I think, want Justin Fields. I think that's the guy they want, and they'll get him here at the ninth pick. There's reports of him possibly sliding a little bit. I think he doesn't fall. I don't. I cannot see him falling out of the top ten. I just cannot envision that. And I feel bad for putting him at number nine, but this is just based off what I'm reading, essentially. And there's a lot of stuff that I've read. So it's not just I'm going off of just ESPN, which I rarely go off of ESPN anyways. But I go off of a lot of things I hear. That are connect- people that are connected. And Justin Fields, just I don't know if he'll go to San Francisco. But I'd like him to. I'd love him to. I would hate for him to go to the Patriots. But I think he's a very similar style quarterback to Cam. I think this is the kind of thing the Patriots are wanting to do is go forward with this style of offense. Because like I've said before, the thing they do better than anybody is adapt. So if they adapt, if they continue adapting, the way the NFL is going is the mobile quarterback, and if they want to keep doing that, Justin Fields would be that guy. And sitting behind Cam for a year, or less than that when he inevitably gets hurt, you move forward with him. I don't think Jarrett Stidham's their guy, even though how much he was hyped about that last year. I don't. After seeing him getting beat out by Brian Hoyer for the backup job, I think that ship sailed. Justin Fields seems like a guy they would want. Now, they're obviously going to be linked to Mac Jones as well. Obviously, the links comparing him to Tom Brady and stuff makes a lot of sense. But with Mac Jones looking like he's going to San Francisco, I think Justin Fields would be their guy. At 10, Patrick Sertan, the corner from Alabama. I mean, this this basically feels like a lock at this point. Depending on what Denver does at 9, this looks like a, a lock. His dad, Patrick Sertan Sr., he's come out and said he wants him to go to the Cowboys. He feels like a perfect match, and I agree 100%. They have a need at corner. They have Trayvon Diggs there, who was doing really good before he got hurt. They stole him in the second round, right in front of the Bills, who was who I wanted at the draft. But Pastor Zatanna would solidify that other corner spot. They lost... Okay, I, I messed this up last time, too. I just want to make sure. They lost Chidobia Wuze to the Cincinnati Bengals. So they have a need at cornerback. They need help on defense in general. They've given up a ton of leads over the past few seasons. Their offense can score. That's no problem. Their defense cannot stop anybody. So they need help. And I'm not saying Sertan would solve every single problem their defense has because they have a lot of them. But he would definitely help solidify their defense. Number 11, the New York Giants. There's reports of Devontae Smith falling a little bit. 
But from what I read a few weeks ago, what I still read today, is that Dave Gettleman covets Devontae Smith. I think David Gettle- Dave Gettleman really wants Devontae Smith. And I think, to me, Jalen Waddell, I like Jalen Waddell more. That's just on a personal standpoint. I think Devontae Smith is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, college receiver of all time. But I can't ignore the fact that Jalen Waddell was doing better before he got hurt last season than Devontae Smith. And he's bigger. Regardless of what you think about the size thing, I Jalen Waddell, and he has some injury history. Devontae Smith doesn't necessarily have that. Obviously, he fractured or broke his finger in the national championship game, but I'm not too worried about his injury history. I'm not too worried about his weight either, but Jalen Waddell can add a lot of things to your offense that Devontae Smith can't. I think Devontae Smith's the best route runner in this draft, but Jalen Waddell's the most electric player in this draft. So I think that would come into play here. The Giants are going to have a lot of options here. They're either going to draft an edge rusher, offensive lineman, wide receiver. They can do a lot of things here. I just think if Dave Gettleman really, if the reports are true and Dave Gettleman really values and covets Devontae Smith, I can't see them not drafting Devontae Smith. And I know a lot of people will be out there, well, they got Kenny Gallo, they don't need that. They have Sterling Shepard, Darius Slayton. Well, they're not real number two options on this team. They're good three and four options. They're were number one options for the past couple seasons. They're not that. Kenny Galladay and Devontae Smith would be a major upgrade for Daniel Jones, and they said that they were going to get him weapons. If they feel like he's the franchise quarterback, or at least they hope he is, they'll get him a guy like Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. That's what I would do if I'm the Giants. Because, again, interior off to linemen, you can get those later in the draft. There's a lot of good ones that you can get in day two that I think the Giants will attack then. They might go after an edge rusher as well. There's a lot of good edge rushers in this draft. So you could do that in day two. You could do that. What I would okay, here's what I would do if I'm the New York Giants. Day one, I would draft Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle. I draft one of the top wide receivers in this draft. Round two, I would draft one of the top edge rushers that are available. And I'm not gonna go over the entire list because we haven't even reached an edge rusher yet, so I don't want to go over. But here's some of the names that could be available in day two. I think we all know like Quiddy Pay, Aziz Ojolari, uh Jalen Phillips. Will all be available. It will be gone by day one. I think the rest of them you can kind of speculate on where they go. So, and out of those guys, you got like Jason Owe, you've got Joe Tryon, you got Gregory, Gregory Rousseau, Joseph Asai, Carlos Basham, Ronnie Perkins, uh, Quincy Roche, Patrick Jones. You got some good Ed Allison Smith from you and I. You could you have a lot of options there. So I would go there with my day two pick. Is the Giants pick forty second on day two? Uh, their first pick on day two. And then they pick 76th. So they have options. So I would go with the edge rusher in round two. And then in the third round, you take one of the interior off to linemen. Now, I don't think Landon Dickerson, I don't think Creed Humphrey or Wyatt Davis will be available. But Quinn Miners, Trey Smith, Deontay Brown. I think Deontay Brown would be a wet dream of Dave Gettleman's. If you want a hog molly, Dave, Deontay Brown is that. Ben Cleveland could be an option there. Like, there's options for the Giants. So I would go wide receiver, edge rusher, Interior offensive lineman. If I'm the New York, if I'm Dave Gettleman, that's what I would do. Now you just got it's all the matter of picking the right one, but that's the position group and the way I would attack the 2021 NFL draft from a Giants perspective. 12, okay. This one is a reach. And I'm not saying this is what I would do. Again, for mock drafts, I don't want to say what I would do because I think that kind of ruins it. I don't want to do what I would do in this situation. I'm doing what 
Well, okay. It's a mixture of what would I do and what I'm hearing. And what I'm hearing factor, or what I'm reading, hearing, whatever, that weighs, that holds more weight than what I want to happen. Because I'm not involved with these teams. I don't know who they're talking to. Well, the connected people do. The person that I have read is the guy that is going to be the quote-unquote overdrafted player, or the reach is Christian Barmore from Alabama, the defensive tackle from Alabama. Big dude, really big dude. Six foot five. What did, I have the weight down here somewhere. Six foot five. I guess I don't. Crap, I thought I did. Well, Christian Barmore basically is going to be that dude that you go, whoa, okay, he's drafted a little bit sooner than I was anticipating. Like a lot of people, I see a lot of people giving him to Cleveland at 26. Makes sense. They just cut Sheldon Richardson. I see a lot of people giving him to Tampa Bay more of a value pick than anything. It's too good to pass up there. They don't really have a lot of holes in the roster. I've seen him go to the Raiders at some points. But the Eagles are an interesting one. Apparently, Howie Roseman has not really been impressed with the skill positions in this draft. So that'd be the wide receivers, the cornerbacks, the running backs, so on and so forth. He's not been really impressed with that. And Howie Roseman has adopted an idea over the past few years that's building in the trenches or something along those lines. And they have on their roster, still Fletcher Cox is still on the roster, one of the better defensive tackles over the past 10 years since he's come into the league. And Javon Hargrove, Hargrave is still on the roster as well. Another interior defense alignment. So the Eagles don't necessarily have a glaring need Anterior off to our defense lineman. I think here, I had J.C. Horn going here. I think J.C. Horn's a very logical pick here. The Eagles have struggled in the secondary for, seems like, forever. And getting a guy to partner Darius Slay would make a lot of sense. I remember they thought they solved that a few years ago when they signed Namdi Asamoah from the Raiders, and that didn't really work out. Never was the same since he left the Raiders. But great corner when he was on the Raiders. I don't I don't want to bash Namdi Asamoah at all. Dude was awesome. Well, when he played. But Barmore, if he does get overdraft, I think the Eagles would be the perfect team to overdraft somebody because that's what the Eagles do. They did that with Jalen Rager last year. Just prime example of that. But Fletcher Cox is 30 going on 31. He was linked with trades away from Philly last year. And then now, over the next few seasons, he's going to be paid like one of the best players in the league. In 2022, he's going to be making more money than Aaron Donald. And no offense to Fletcher Cox. I think he's a great, great, great player. He's not Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald is the best overall. If we're talking positionless football, Aaron Donald's the best player in the NFL. Aaron Donald is the best defensive player I have seen in my entire life. And yes, I am including a lot of great players in there. Ed Reed, who I think is the greatest defensive back of all time. I've seen him play. I'm throwing Troy Polamalu, Ray Lewis, Brian Urlacher, Brian Dawkins. Players I'm not even mentioning. Darrell Revis, who I think is one of the greatest defensive backs of all time as well. Champ Bailey, throwing all these guys in here. J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald just can't be stopped. For how not very big he is compared to other defensive linemen, how dominant he is, it's ridiculous. I don't, I, it's crazy. So Fletcher Cox will be making more than Aaron Donald in 2022. And the Eagles have already been linked with trades Moving him somewhere else. The Bills were linked with Fletcher Cox last year. You're going to get a decent hole for Fletcher Cox. 
And I think with Howie Roseman, I think he'd be trying to move Fletcher Cox before he's that 2022 contract comes up. I think he's going to want to move him eventually. He's going to get a good haul from him. Right now, the Eagles had the most picks in the draft, and I know they're linked with a move up in the draft again, but I just feel Christian Barmore would be that kind of guy that they'd reach for. And another factor here, he's from Philly. He's a Philadelphia guy. That's one of the reasons I linked Kyle Pitts there. They had the Florida quarterback coach, or the Florida offensive coordinator, now is the Eagles quarterback coach. Kyle Pitts is from Philly. It worked out. That's what I thought would happen. Now they're getting another Philly guy. And this won't be the most popular pick. I, I stress on here a few times. This is not what I would do if I'm the Philadelphia Eagles. But this is what I've heard. And also, Matt Miller, who was Bleach Report's former draft expert, and he's a constant guest on ESPN. He's He went on Twitter today and said he would not be surprised if Christian Barmore was the second or third defensive player taken in this draft. Based on this, he's the second, right behind Patrick Sertan. I think J.C. Horn and Micah Parsons are the only two at this point in time that would be considered in the second or third, or maybe even first, category, depending on, like, the Broncos could take Horn or Micah Parsons at that at number nine. The Cowboys could take Horn or Sertan. The, the Giants could take Micah Parsons or J.C. Horn or someone like that. Those are the only real options. Caleb Farley obviously was up there before his back injury, back surgery, I should say, but Barmore, I guess, has been really highly viewed among teams in the NFL. And for the Eagles, who have been, quote, building in the trenches, he would be an obviously obvious fit there. He's a great de- uh, pass rusher from the interior defense lineman. He's all going to stop the run. And in a division where you got Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, and Antonio Gibson, you've got to stop the run. This is a division where you've got to figure out how to stop the run. And you could do three defensive line sets with Hargrave, Cox, and Christian Barmore. But if you move on from Cox, which is, it could happen. He's been linked with moves away for the past year. Like, this isn't something that just spawned recently in my head. Barmore would be a smart option. He's the best defensive lineman in this draft. And if the Eagles think that they can do that, or would do that, do it. If they value him, he's balled out at Alabama. But I do agree it would be a little bit of a reach. I would draft J.C. Horn if I was the Philadelphia Eagles. Obviously, Jalen Waddle's still available, but they've needed help in the secondary for freaking ever. And I think J.C. Horn's a beast, so it makes a lot of sense to do that. But the Eagles have thrown conventional wisdom in the draft out <laughs> a few years ago, so this would be the guy that'd be overdrafted, and I I totally see the Eagles doing it. can totally see this happening. At number 13, the Detroit Lions, Jalen Waddle. They need wide receivers. They have Brashad Perriman. They have Tyrell Williams on the roster. Two very injury-prone wide receivers, but have, are good options when healthy, but Jalen Waddle would just add something completely different to their roster. Jalen Waddle would add a lot of things different to their roster. You could flip Jalen Waddle and Devontae Smith around. I wouldn't really care. I think the Giants take one of those guys in the first round. I'm leaning towards Smith just because of the fact I've seen talks of Dave Gettleman being enamored with Devontae Smith. Even though there was links that said he could be dropping in the draft to Kadarius Toney from Florida could be taken before him. I'm just saying, if Dave Gettleman really likes the guy, he's going to draft him. We saw that with Daniel Jones in 2019. Like, if he likes the guy, he's going to draft him. No one said Daniel Jones should go at six, except for Dave Gettleman, because he wanted Daniel Jones. So that's where my logic comes in that. Lions, 
They could go with a defender. Their defense sucks. We all know this. But they need wide receiver help. They could totally do that defender thing and draft a wide receiver later. That's a that's an option for the Detroit Lions there. As we said numerous times, this is the deepest wide receiver class of all time. You got Kadarius Toney, Elijah Moore, Rashad Bateman, Terrace Marshall, Rondell Moore, Diami Brown, Amon Ross St. Brown, Tylen Wallace, Dwayne Eskridge, Jamari Rogers, Tutu Atwell. There is a lot of wide receivers, Daz Newsome, that you could take later in the draft. And they'll probably address that position, those positions later. But you could get an edge rusher later as well. There's a very deep edge rusher class as well. Defensive lineman you could get later in the draft as well. There's only going to be one taken in the first round, I would assume, and that's Christian Barmore. Like Levi on Mizruki, Andriki, Davion Nixon, Jay Tufel, Ali McNeil, Tommy Tongai, Milton Williams, Tyler Shelvin, Marvin Wilson. Uh, there's a lot of them. A lot of defensive linemen you could take later. There's some good safeties that will be taken in day two. Like Javon Holland, Richie Grant, Andre Sisco, Hassan Nasruddin. Like, there's some great guys you can get on defense. Trayvon Morig depends on where he goes in the first round because safeties, as of late, have not really gone in the first round. Linebackers, Jabril Cox, Nick Bolton, Baron, Baron Browning, Chash Surratt, Dylan Moses. Like, there's options everywhere. Monty Rice, there's options everywhere in this draft. Like, there's not really a weak position. Then even corners. Asante Samuel Jr., Eric Stokes, Elijah Molda, Tyson Campbell, Aaron Robinson, Kelvin Joseph. Ifitu. I, I, the Syracuse corner. I can't. I need to work on pronouncing his name. Paulson Adebo, Sean Wade. Like, there's positions everywhere on defense. Now, obviously, you get better value in the first round. Obviously, we know they get J.C. Horn, Micah Parsons, Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, all these guys. But wide receiver is a massive need. And Jalen Waddle's a beast. It'd be hard to pass up Jalen Waddle if you're the Detroit Lions and a receiver needy team. Minnesota Vikings, Quiddy Pay, defensive end from Michigan, compares a lot to Daniil Hunter, not just as a player, like playing-wise, their stats. All right, no, that's we'll talk about him in a little bit. But there's another player that compares to Neil Hunter a lot, statistically wise, which is he's getting talked in the first round. But if you're looking just at stats, you probably go, well, why is he getting taken in the first round? We'll talk about him later. If you do research now, you probably figure it out by the time I get to it. But Quiddy Pay is the fastest. He's the most athletic edge rusher in this draft. I guess you could throw him, Ojalari, and Jason Owe in there as the most athletic edge rushers in this draft. I'll say. Pay is the quickest off the jump. Quiddy Pay is also, to me, the best against the run, which is something the Minnesota Vikings need desperately is help in the run defense as they got gashed by um, Alvin Kamara against the New Orleans Saints on Christmas. By that point, we've said this a thousand times, that Mike Zimmer, the head coach of the Vikings, said this is the worst defense I've ever coached. And in a team that finished near the bottom in the NFL in sacks last year, they'll need it and Daniil Hunter's threatening on holding out, they need some edge rush help. I think J- uh, Jalen Phillips would be an option here, but I think his injury history, even though he played well last year, the fact that he retired, literally retired two years ago, will probably weigh a little heavy on some teams. I think most people out there view him, if he was completely healthy, as the best edge rusher in the draft. I think Pay, though he didn't have the ton of production at Michigan compared to Jalen Phillips, Gregory Rousseau, Aziz Ojolari, those guys... He's got the most upside, one would say, 
for him. And I think he'd fit what the Vikings do a lot. Helping the run and helping the pass game will help the Vikings immensely. And I think he's the best at the run from the defensive end perspective out of the first round, guys. And he can get off the passer. He's really fast. So, like Daniel Hunter, he didn't have a lot of production in his last year at LSU. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But like, just because you didn't have production, like stats-wise, doesn't mean you weren't disruptive. And that's what Quiddy Pay is. And he'll be effective for the Vikings defense. Broncos at 15. Micah Parsons, linebacker, Penn State. I almost, I contemplate keeping them at number nine because I think there's a very real possibility that they stay at nine and draft Micah Parsons. I think Micah Parsons just feels like a Denver Broncos player. Vic Fangio, when he was the head coach of the, or the defense coordinator, I should say, by of the Chicago Bears, his last season there, drafted Roquan Smith with the eighth pick from Georgia. That dude, along with Khalil Mack, obviously, transformed the Bears' defense. And Roquan Smith has been a very good linebacker in the NFL. And then you look at Devin White for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, drafted fifth overall. Do you see these good linebackers? You're like, man, we should get one of those. And the Broncos on defense, their only real need, and it's not even really that massive of a need, it's a need, but is linebacker. They got safeties. They got Justin Simmons there. They got Kyle Fuller. I think they got Ronald Darby this offseason as well at corner. Von Miller's back. Bradley Chubb should be healthy. You've got defensive players, and Vic Fangio would want himself a defense after they've gone mostly offense since he's been the head coach in the first few rounds of the NFL draft. Obviously, looking at Noah Fant, uh, Drew Locke, obviously being another one. And then now I'm blanking who they draft last year. <laughs> who the Broncos draft? Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler. I think he would like to get some defensive guys. In the draft, I think their last defender they drafted with a very high pick was Bradley Chubb in 2018, and Vic Fangio wasn't the head coach that I remember at that point in time. No, he wasn't because that was when Roquan Smith was there. The Micah Parsons would be that Roquan Smith kind of guy for the Denver Broncos, and he's kind of he's got the skill set to not only be an inside linebacker, but he can be an edge rusher when asked to. He's extremely versatile on the defensive side of the ball. He can make plays all over the field, though he opted out last year. And though he's got some quote-unquote character concerns, trading back I think would be the best option for the Broncos, even though teams like the New York Giants, like the Detroit Lions, if they do trade back, could be linked with Micah Parsons. I just think that trading back and getting it would be very smart for the Denver Broncos. And then accumulating more picks to fill more needs. Like the offense, I think, is pretty much locked in. I don't want to rule out them trading up for a quarterback or taking a quarterback because I think that's a very real possibility. I just think George Payton would rather wait one more year with Locke because if your quarterback's not good, then there's a chance you're going to get a higher pick. But if you have a good quarterback, chances are you're not going to be horrific unless your defense is horrific, like the Atlanta Falcons with Matt Ryan. That's a situation that's an odd situation there where your defense is awful. The Broncos have peace on offense. They just need some consistency from the offensive side of the ball, regardless of, with injuries and stuff like that, and COVID stuff going around with the Denver Broncos facility. Defensively, they have a good roster. The Broncos have a good roster. And Drew Locke, though he didn't, he was very inconsistent last year, and you could argue he was the worst quarterback in the NFL last year, make a very compelling argument, I might add about that. I think he's got potential still. I think this is his last year. I think it's it after this. The Broncos have obviously called, made calls for big-name quarterbacks this offseason as well. 
But I remember a few weeks ago, I saw something. If it's not Deshaun Watson, they won't upgrade, upgrade on Drew Locke. They'll bring in a veteran. I think Teddy Bridgewater's that ideal guy having a uh, past relationship with George Payton. Obviously, being the Vikings, I don't know on a personal level how that good their relationship is, but at least from the Vikings' perspective, it was there. And Alex Smith is still out there as well. I think it would be a very good option for the Denver Broncos, but I think Teddy Bridgewater would be the ideal guy for the Broncos moving forward. If, just for this season, because obviously if Drew Locke doesn't work out, they'll draft a quarterback next year. But I, I, I think they'll go on one more season with him, and Micah Parsons would be an ideal guy for the Broncos' defense. I have a long description for this pick. So if you get to pick 15 and see the Broncos picked, read the description because there's a lot going on in this one. 16, the Cardinals, J.C. Horn, corner from South Carolina. I want him to go earlier, but when I threw in Christian Barmore, I changed it a little bit just because I saw that as I was editing this right before I did the show. J.C. Horn, based off Caleb Farley's injury, is the next best corner available in this draft. And I think the Cardinals, if he were to fall to 16, would be grateful for this to happen. J.C. Horn is a baller. He's got this. Like, listen to this list of people he's covered in college and held his own. Held his own. A.J. Brown in the NFL. Kyle Pitts, top five, top six pick. Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner. Devon, Jalen Wallen, most electrifying player in college football. Jerry Judy, NFL. Henry Ruggs, NFL. Elijah Moore, will be NFL, first or second rounder. Terrace Marshall Jr., first or second rounder. Diami Brown, second or third rounder. Justin Ross from Clemson, third rounder or fourth rounder. Cornell Powell, same thing. Josh Palmer, Trayvon Grimes, Van Jefferson, Rams, Tyree Cleveland, and Seth Williams. All these guys are either on NFL rosters or getting drafted this year. And in a division where you have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, among others, I didn't even include tight ends in there, you're going to need a corner that can cover everybody and has the athletic ability and the size to handle that. And that is pro day. I mean, dude's a ball. Three, four, three, four, three, nine, 40 yard dash, 41.5 inch vertical, broad jump of 11 foot, one inch. Dude's a baller size, athleticism, and a division that has a lot of great wide receivers on a defense. That's historically, at least recently, not very good. You lost Patrick Peterson. I know you brought in Malcolm Butler, but he was not good for the Tennessee Titans last year. Get J.C. Horn in and solidify, or at least try to solidify your defense. you got Chandler Jones. Hopefully he stays healthy. Isaiah Simmons. Hopefully he realizes his potential. He's still, I, I really like Isaiah Simmons. You brought in J.J. Watt to play that 3-4 defensive end. You've got players. The Cardinals got players. Now they just need to get some solidifying pieces, and I think J.C. Horn if available, I should stress that, if available, would be that guy. I think if he's not here, I think he goes to the Eagles at 12th. I think he goes. I think that's where he goes if he's not here. 17, the Raiders, Elijah Vera Tucker, offensive lineman. Just offensive lineman. He's not a tackle. He's not a guard. He can play everything. For the Raiders, who had a lot of interesting moves this offseason, trade Trent Brown, starting right tackle, back to the New England Patriots. They cut Gabe Jackson, who signed with the Seattle Seahawks, and they traded one of the most underrated centers of the past 10 years, Rodney Hudson, to the Arizona Cardinals, who we just talked about. So they have big needs on their offensive line. They have a lot of issues. Colton Miller's still there. I think they re-signed Richie Incognito, if I remember correctly. But they need some options here. They need some other pieces here. 
I remember Mike Mayock being at Elijah Vera Tucker's pro day. My Elijah Vera Tucker's a very versatile player, like we mentioned with Rashawn Slater, and we even brought up Vera Tucker with that. Can play tackle, can play guard. Wherever you ask him to play, he will play. And I think will do very, very well. He's also an Oakland native, and I know the Raiders are not in Oakland anymore, but it'd be nice to have a semi-hometown feel or homecom- homecoming for Elijah Vera Tucker. I think this is a great fit. I think he either goes here or the Cardinals at 16, depending on who's available for the Arizona Cardinals at 16. I think Vera Tucker's a very real possibility for the Cardinals. I've also heard the Giants like Elijah Vera Tucker as well. Obviously, Kevin Zeitler being gone, it makes sense to draft a guard like Elijah Vera Tucker. The Vikings make a lot of sense drafting Elijah Vera Tucker. The Eagles, I've heard them. They're off the line's aging. You have a lot of older pieces on their off the line. It hasn't been very healthy, so I would not be surprised if they went off the line either at pick 12. But I think Elijah Vera Tucker, if here, would be a great pickup by the Raiders. 18, Miami Dolphins. I'm going Aziz Ojolari, the outside linebacker from Georgia. If we're looking at all the other big-name edge rushers in this draft, like the guys that could be Todd Vez's first-rounders, he was the most productive. Eight and a half sacks in his last season at Georgia. He's a traditional outside linebacker, and the Dolphins play a 3-4 style defense. Now, I think if you drafted a Jalen Phillips here, you might put him as maybe not a 3-4 defensive end. You'd probably play him as an outside linebacker because the defensive ends on the Dolphins' defensive line are very big. Like, Christian Wilkins is a defensive end on this defense. Like, it's just a freaking monster. I think Azizo Jalari, though, why have him over Jalen Phillips? That's the real option here. Do I put Jalen Phillips or Aziz Ojolari here? That was the real conundrum that we faced here. I think Aziz Ojolari has a lot less question marks at this point in time than Jalen Phillips, who has the injury history. Aziz Ojolari doesn't really have that and is good and is a very good edge rusher. Over his career, he had 15, got 15 hits on the quarterback, scored 46 sacks or 46 hurries. He only got 15 hits on the quarterback, 46 sacks. Jeez. 46 QB hurries, and the Dolphins finished with 41 sacks last season. Solid number, but only one player on the roster, which is Emmanuel Ogba, ranked in the top 30 in sacks. One player out of the entire team, was as a team, that's a decent number, but one player ranked in the top 30. Now it was Emmanuel Ogba with nine. Ozijo Zolari would definitely improve that, and with the division that, if we're taking this draft into account, has Josh Allen, Zach Wilson, Cam Newton, and Justin Fields. I think they need another edge rusher. They cut Kyle Van Noy. They traded away Shaq Lawson. I think for a fit, I think Aziz Ojolari fits better than what Jalen Phillips does, even though Jalen Phillips, minus injury history, is probably the better edge rusher than Ojolari. But, man, he'd be a fun fit here. He's been one that's kind of been rising up a little bit. The Giants have been linked with him as well. The Raiders have been linked with him. So there's a there's a few teams that have been linked with him, and I think this would be a great fit. Now, how the Georgia and Florida guys like each other? Because Kyle Pitts, Kyle Pitts, Florida, Lizzo Jolari, Georgia, don't really like each other. Big time rivalry in college football. See how they get along, but I just think Lizzo Jolari would fit the defense that Brian Flores will implement really, really nicely. I think he'd be a great pickup for the Miami Dolphins at 18, 19. The Washington Football Team, Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa. Linebacker extraordinaire from Notre Dame. I think there's a very real possibility the Washington football team trade up for a quarterback. I think that I'm not going to rule that out. But I just think if they don't, 
I think Jeremiah Wosu-Koromo would be an amazing pick for them. The most versatile player, and I'm saying most versatile player in the draft, and I'm including the offensive lineman I've already mentioned here. Dude can do everything on a defense. 6'1", just over 220, I think is what he weighed in at his pro day, 221. Can play linebacker, can play safety, can play nickel corner, and he's going to make plays wherever he lines up on a defense. And with Ron Rivera... With the defense being the main guy, main cog in this team, the defensive line being the main reason for that, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, now you bring in a guy like Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, who I've used this phrase before for him, is heat-seeking missile. He will find the ball and make a play on the ball. Reminder, in Carolina, Ron Rivera had a linebacker safety combo by the name of Shaq, La- Shaq Thompson, who... Came from Washington, a little bit bigger than Owosu Koromoa, but he's been a very steady presence in the Carolina Panthers defense. I think Ron Rivera would really like that style player back. I just think Owosu Koromoa would give Jack Del Rio, their defense coordinator, and Ron Rivera great game plans moving forward. In the Washington football team, we've already said their quarterback room is pretty good. I mean, it's the worst in the division. I think we all know that, but they're starters. They all have started in the NFL. Maybe not for every team, but they've started significant time in the NFL. But adding Koromoa and getting a quarterback later in the draft, I think would be the smarter decision by the Washington football team. I think Kellen Mond seems like a Washington football team quarterback. Maybe you go after him. But this dude's a freaking animal, and I think would be perfect for what Ron Rivera would want to do on defense. And just add another cog to an already insane defense. The Chicago Bears at 20, giving them Christian Derrissaw, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. I had them taking Greg Newsom here, I think in the last one too. But this, the Bears, if he's available, they'll take Derrissaw. I just think if he's not available, then they'll go after corner. If he is, you got to take him. You got to take him. The Bears offensive line is not great. And for a team that does not have very mobile quarterbacks and Andy Dalton and Nick Foles. I don't think Andy Dalton's a statue, but Nick Foles is. Nick Foles can't move for anything, and adding Derrissaw would not only keep them upright. Like, look at this. I I did research on how many snaps they played and how many offensive, uh, how many passing situations they were in. Derrissaw played 2,317 offensive snaps, with 1,103 of them being pass-blocking snaps. He gave up seven sacks, and 21 QB hurries in three years. In 1,100, just over 1,100 career starts, or career snaps in pass blocking situations, seven sacks, 21 QB hits. And an off the line that is easily ranked in the bottom half of the league for the past however many years, this would be a major thing for this. And another thing that I found very interesting about Derrissaw, other than... His first year in 2018, the Bears, he played more run-blocking plays, had more run-blocking snaps than pass-blocking snaps. And for the Bears, who established somewhat of a rushing attack last year with David Montgomery rushing for over 1,000 yards, this would be a guy you would add to slot right in at off to tackle to create running lanes for David Montgomery while also keeping Andy Dalton, the quote-unquote unquestioned starter, upright for this season. I think Derrissaw is a beast as an offensive tackle, and I think the Bears would be very smart by adding him. But cornerback is an obvious need. They cut Kyle Fuller. They have a need there. Makes a lot of sense. But I just think if Derrissaw is there, they take him. If he's not, they'll take a corner. 
21, the Colts, same thing as last time, Jalen Phillips. They have a need at defensive end. That's not really getting talked about a ton, but they have a need at defensive end. And I think getting a guy like Jalen Phillips, who has a lot of length, putting him on a defensive line that has DeForest Buckner, who is the longest interior defensive lineman in the NFL. Now, that's just what I think. I guess I haven't statistically narrowed that down yet, but I'm pretty confident he is. Jalen Phillips would be awesome. Regarding injury history, dude might be the best edge rusher in this entire draft, but that is obviously a factor, and the Colts will be very thankful for that. Like this past offseason, or this offseason, I guess, they lost Danico Autry to the Tennessee Titans. And they could lose Justin Houston as well. And Justin Houston, I think, is 34. I could be wrong about the age, but I'm pretty sure he's 34. And with Autry gone and Houston possibly be gone, the Colts would lose 15 and a half sacks and the pair ranked second and third on the team in sacks with, obviously, DeForest Buckner leading the team with nine. They're going to need some help rushing the quarterback. And this division is a very talented quarterback division with Ryan Tannehill, Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson for now. And then Tyrod Taylor's there as well in Houston. You're going to need to get some pressure on the quarterback. I know they have a need on offensive line, which Chris Ballard, the GM, has never been afraid of addressing. But I just think getting a defensive end in this first round, we've already talked about how good of an off to tackle class is like in the second round. The Colts in the second round, their first pick will come when? The 54th pick. You could get some good off to linemen there. I'm not saying these guys will be available, but these will be some second-rounders to look at. Sam Cosme, Jalen Mayfield, Alex Leatherwood, Dylan Raydunes, Walker Little, Brady Christensen, Spencer Brown, James Hudson from Houston. Like, There's some good options they can get in round two. And even if you want to, like Liam Eikenberg could be an option there in the second round as well. You have options to get off to linemen. I mean, you have, you have a lot of options in every position in this draft. But I just think Jalen Phillips... I think he'd be too hard to pass up if you're the Indianapolis Colts, who, again, need help in the rush game, ru- or pat- rushing the quarterback. 22, I'll spoil 28 for you as well, the Saints. This is where Caleb Farley and Greg Newsom II will go. Saints and Titans. I don't know which one will go where. I think that if they don't, if this all starts with the Titans, obviously, who pick a 22nd. If they don't, if they're not concerned about Greg Newsom's injury or uh, Caleb Farley's back surgery, they'll take back Caleb Farley. And then if not, they'll take Greg Newsom and he'll fall. Caleb Farley will probably follow the Saints. It all is up in the air regards of his back problems because if he didn't have back problems, he'd be arguably the best cornerback in this draft class. Like it's it's hard to predict with these kind of things. So this will be subject to change. I'll just say this now with both of these guys: when this gets released. They'll probably be changed a little bit. I'll decide tomorrow when I release the show, right before I release the show. So with Caleb Farley, beast, we've talked about him a thousand times, really athletic, very raw corners, only really played corner for two years at Virginia Tech, played quarterback, played wide receiver, now he's playing corner, athletic freak at the quarterback position. The Titans gave up 6,372 yards on and through the air. 398.3 yards per game, four in the or that's total yards. Fourth most passing yards, 4,558 passing yards per game, which is 277.4 yards per game. With Mike Vrabel there, their head coach, former defensive coordinator and former linebacker, I think he'd want to improve their defense. And Caleb Farley or Greg Newsom, whoever they take here, would be a very wise investment for the betterment of their defense. 
Very smart investment. And again, it's all dependent on whether or not Farley's injury history, or not really history, but his problems this offseason affect him in the draft or not. But Newsom's no slouch himself. I think Newsom's the fourth best corner in this draft class, but taking him before Farley based off injury history would not be a terrible thing. I think Farley is the best or second best corner in this draft if healthy. But, but if we're throwing injury things in this, it'd be hard to not take Greg Newsom in this circumstance as well. Like he has a, he ha, now he did only have one interception, 114 targets, but he had a complete career completion percentage of 56.1 with a 35.3 Completion percentage when thrown against him in 2020. He also had 64 tackles in his career, 15 pass defended, and five surrendered touchdowns in a long season, long career at Northwestern with 20, zero given up in 2020. Now, that's all per PFF and SI.com. So, if you want to go check that out, I didn't make that up. You can go check it out for yourself. So, it all depends on Farley's thing. But I'm fairly confident in saying Farley, one of them will go to Tennessee and the other one will go to New Orleans. With 23, New York Jets take Tevin Jenkins, the offensive tackle from Oklahoma State, one of my favorite players in this draft. Like He doesn't look like the most intimidating offensive lineman you've ever seen or intimidating football player you've ever seen. He's a mauler. And with the Jets, who signed, who drafted Makai Becton with their first pick last year, getting a guy like Tevin Jenkins, you'd have one of the scariest tackle duos in the NFL, with Jenkins being a natural right tackle, there'd be no problems with the transition. Because I don't now in today's NFL, in today's football in general, I don't think there's a lot of problems with transitioning tackles over. I know there's different footwork and stuff, but with the era of swing tackles and positional versatility, I think that's starting to become less of an issue. As you see, Jedrick Wills made the transition from left right tackle to left tackle in the NFL and had a very successful rookie year, arguably the best rookie left tackle this offseason. This past season, I should say. My nerd, Tristan Wirfs, who I think is the best tackle in the draft last year, is a right tackle. He had a very great year last year, obviously winning the Super Bowl. But Jenkins, like, something Sam Darnold, we talked about this Carolina, something Sam Darnold never had was an offensive line. What Joe Douglas is the GM, a former offensive lineman in his own right, I think he'd like to draft a steady offensive line for Zach Wilson. I think defense is obviously going to be talked about here as well with the cornerbacks being available. They could take an edge rusher. But I think getting a guy like Tevin Jenkins who will not only open up holes from the run game because obviously he was off to tackle for Chubba Hubbard when he led the nation rushing a few years ago when he had 2,000-plus yards rushing. He's a great pass blocker. In 2,324 snaps, 1,117 of those being pass blocking snaps gave up just two sacks two sacks in three years even crazier over the past two seasons Jenkins gave up zero sacks so he's given up two sacks in three years and zero in the past two years <laughs> and then obviously the 2000 yard rushing game it's a rushing season he's allowed just three QB hits and 27 quarterback hurries in three years as a starter at Oklahoma State I would not be surprised if he went earlier in this draft, but dude is an absolute beast. I think him and Darius are very close, just like I think Rashawn Slater and Penny Sewell are very close. Compare these guys quite a bit. I like Tevin Jenkins a lot, just because of the fact that he doesn't look very intimidating, but is extremely intimidating. 
if the Jets, if he's available, the Jets would have to take it. It'd be very hard for the Jets to pass up on him. Pairing up Mekhi Becton with Tevin Jenkins, whoo! In a division that doesn't really have a lot of very scary edge rushers that I can think of off the top of my head, like Jerry Hughes, Kyle Van Noy, am I forgetting someone out the Patriots? Chase Winovich? There's not a lot of scary edge rushers in the division. And if you've got two off to tackles like that, you're going to hold back some people from your starting quarterback, who we assume is Zach Wilson. That would be a very smart pickup by the New York, by the New York Jets. Pittsburgh at 24, I think it's Najee Harris. There was a report that came out a couple days ago that said they were looking to add a running back in round one. I think Najee Harris just feels like a Pittsburgh Steelers player. They've always had bigger running backs, at least the successful running backs have been bigger running backs. And Najee Harris has a very similar, I'm not saying he is, but has a very similar skill set to that of Le'Veon Bell, where he's a bigger dude. Le'Veon Bell's a big guy for being able, how good he is catching the ball in the backfield. He's a big running back. And Najee Harris is very similar to that. Great receiver out of the backfield. Showed that threat last year for Alabama. Dominated the run game as well. He just feels like a Pittsburgh Steeler through and through. I think Mike Tomlin would love to have him on his team. And it would definitely take the pressure off of a very old Ben Roethlisberger. And for the Steelers, though James Conner's been all right, who just signed with the Arizona Cardinals, they lacked a run game. Even though he had a couple good seasons, they lacked a run game, and Najee Harris would reestablish that, and then they can go with the offensive lineman in the later rounds of the draft. I think it'd be hard for them to pass on Najee Harris in round one. 25, the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is not the first position that should pop in your head with the Jaguars, but I just put it here for fun. It's Kadarius Toney, the wide receiver from Florida. I think that Urban Meyer, the new head coach of the, of the Jacksonville Jaguars, would love some more explosiveness out of his wide receivers. Now, they obviously got DJ Chark. They just signed Marvin Lewis this off, or Marvin Jones this offseason from the Detroit Lions. They've got options out wide, but Kadarius Toney would be that Swiss Army knife similar to that of what Urban Meyer had Percy Harvin at Florida. Both went to Florida. I think both were number one. I think Kadarius Toney, yeah, they both were number one. And Kadarius Tony would do that. I know Kadarius Tony did not blow the doors off of this 40 time, but watch him on tape. Like, the dude makes plays out of absolutely nothing an insane amount of times. And like Percy Harvin before him, he did so much for Florida's offense. He ran the ball. He threw the ball. He returned the ball. He caught the ball. Like, dude made plays after play for the Florida Gators, and I think he would do that for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, Trayvon Morig is obviously an option here, but they have the first pick in the second round. I don't know if Morig will be gone by the time the Jaguars pick with the second round. Because again, safeties don't necessarily go that high unless you're a Jamal Adams and Earl Thomas type player. They usually don't. Like last year, I had Xavier McKinney, Grant Delpit. Those guys went later. Kyle Duggar, Jeremy Chin. All those guys went in round two. No safeties went in round one. I think we might be in a similar situation here where I think Trayvon Morig will be the first safety taken in the draft. I think Javon Holland will be the second one, but I think we won't see any in the first round. That's what I'm thinking right now. And Kadarius Toney, I think, could go sooner than this. I think probably should go sooner than this, but I think from Jacksonville, he'd fit perfectly with what I would assume Urban Meyer would want to do on offense in regards to versatility from the wide receiver position. 26, the Browns taking Jamin Davis. We had this last time, I believe, as well. Just... Giving them a linebacker for a linebacker core that's not been very good. Even though they released Sheldon Richardson, 
They can get some interior defense alignment later in the draft. We went over that list earlier. I just think Jamin Davis would be a great fit. He's a very athletic linebacker. He's a very fast linebacker. He showed that off not only at his pro day, where he ran a 4-3-7-40 at 6-3-34, but he showed that off in tape. He had a, what was it, 81-yard pick six or something like that while he was at Kentucky. Like, dude is awesome. He's an 85, 85-yard pick six while at Kentucky. He has wheels. He has burners from the linebacker position. And though he might not be as versatile as a Zaven Collins who we have going a little bit later, I just think how athletic he is and how fast he is would be very hard for the Browns to pass up for a linebacker needy team and would help the defensive line a little bit more. Now, I think that they will add a defensive lineman later, but... I think if they don't, Jam- if they don't add one later, oh, wait, <laughs> what am I trying to say here? Jamin Davis should be their first round pick. Let's just end it like that. He should he'd be a great pick for their first round. Twenty seven, the Baltimore Ravens. I give him Jason Owe, the edge rusher from Penn State. Wide receivers and obviously need here. And I had Rashad Bateman going here. I think Rashad Bateman's ability in the run game, not even the pass game, would greatly benefit the Baltimore Ravens because at Minnesota, especially last year where Tanner Morgan struggled and Rashad Bateman's numbers went down, he had to adapt as a run blocker and did that very, very well. Muhammad Ibrahim balled out last year, had multiple games over 200 yards. Rashad Bateman blocking on the edges was very big in that. And I think that fits with what the Ravens would want to do. So I would not be surprised Rashad Bateman was the pick here for the Baltimore Ravens. And in the second round, the, the Ravens' first pick is 58 in the second round. So we'll see if they address the wide receiver position there, which I think they'll need to eventually. And he'll add something different. He's not necessarily a burner. They have Sammy Watkins and Marquise Goodwin, who are injury prone, so we'll assume they're going to get hurt at some point throughout next season. But I think Jason Owe, for a team that lost Matthew Judon and lost Yannick Ngakwe this offseason, Jason Owe would be the next best line, the edge rusher. I know Gregory Rousseau will get linked here as well. But he had a really weird pro day and obviously didn't play last year. So I, I've started to hear his name start to slip out of the first round a little bit. And Jason Owe, based off his athleticism of what he showed off his pro day, not even at his pro day, just in general, that will get him boosted in the draft. And one thing people are going to point out is Jason Owe had zero sacks his last year at Penn State. But it wasn't like he was pro- not productive or wasn't hurt rushing the quarterback or anything. He just didn't get the sacks. Like, in the last year at LSU, Daniel Hunter had one and a half sacks. So it's not like... Daniel Hunter's been one of the more productive edge rushers in the NFL since he's been in the league. Just because you didn't have the production as some of these other players, they can be effective. And his athleticism is ridiculous. He had a four... What was his 40 time? Four six three forty time at six foot five two fifty seven. Uh, almost 40-inch vertical in an 11-2 broad jump. Like, dude is an athletic freak. I think the Ravens would love a guy like that. Natural. He played D-end at Penn State, but is expected to be an outside linebacker, stand-up outside linebacker in a 3-4 defense, which is what the Ravens run. Athletic- athletically, he would be very hard to pass up for the Baltimore Ravens, even though, again, he had zero sacks his last season at Penn State. I think his athleticism is too much to pass up here for the Baltimore Ravens, who need edge rushers. We've already talked about the Saints. It'll be Farley or Newsome. Just depends on what I feel when I actually release this. Depending on the injuries, how bad the Titans view 
Farley's back surgery. Time will tell on that. 29, Green Bay Packers take Zayvon Collins, linebacker from Tulsa. Versatility off the charts. Similar to that of Jeremiah Wosu-Koromoa, people have described him as a, a linebacker in a defensive end's body that has the skills of a safety. Duke can do everything for a defense. And people have listed him as an edge rusher, a linebacker, outside linebacker. Time will tell where he actually plays. But I think the Packers, who would like some more playmakers on defense, would add a guy like Zayvon Collins to be perfectly fine. Now, I'm stuck by here. This is a similar thing we had last time. I'm stuck between Zayvon Collins and Landon Dickerson because they obviously lost Corey, Corey Lindsley. But there's some good centers that we've mentioned before. Like, they could get, I doubt it, but they could probably get, or not probably, they might be able to get Landon Dickerson later. Creed Humphrey could be later. Quinn Miners could be later. Those are the next top two centers in the draft, I would say. So they could get those guys later. I think if they want a playmaker on defense that could do everything, I think that's what Zayvon Collins would provide for the Packers' defense. Be very wise of the Packers to add a defensive guy like a Zayvon Collins. The Buffalo Bills, I'm stuck here. I don't know what the Bills are going to do. I really don't. As my team, you would think I would have a better grasp around what I think the Bills will do, but I don't know. Picking at 30 is a very weird spot, and for the Bills who signed, I think, a re- have every 21 of their 22 starters or key players last year all back, so I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I think there's a shout they could get Elijah Moore this draft as well to eventually replace some of their slot guys. Emmanuel Sanders on a one-year deal. Cole Beasley has two years left on his contract. So time will tell. Time will tell about that whole situation on whether or not they go with a wide receiver. I think cornerback's an option here. I think Asante Samuel Jr. would be a very smart pick here by the Bills who will would like another corner to partner Tredavious White. So... Tell, time will tell on if they get a guy to partner Travis White. I like Levi Wallace. I like Dane Jackson, but I think they'd like to upgrade on that. And then the edge rushers. Joe Tryon here could be an option here. They have, uh, wow, I'm completely blanking. 55. Uh, can someone help me? Come, someone help me. <laughs> Jerry Hughes. Good Lord. So, Jerry Hughes is getting older. I think he's 33 years old. He's the best edge rusher the Bills got. A.J. Espineza did not have a great rookie year last year, so maybe they go edge rusher. I'm not going to say what the Bills do here. You'll have to find out tomorrow because I have absolutely no idea. I'll type up a reasoning tonight. I'll post it up tomorrow morning, and you guys will see. But as of right now, I'm stuck. They could draft Travis Etienne as well, which I really would like that, but we'll see. Time will really tell. Based on what I'm hearing, I think it's either going to be Tryon or Asante Samuel. I don't know. Time will, time will tell. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, Liam Eikenberg, need off to tackle help. I think he's the next best one available. I think if you want potential, probably go with Jalen Mayfield, but he's more of a project than Eichenberg, who's more of a finished product at this point in time. We know what he is. He's a Notre Dame off to tackle. He's going to be good. Like all of the Notre Dame off to tackles are Ronnie Stanley, Mike McGlinchey, even Quentin Nelson wasn't a tackle, but best off to guard in the NFL. Chiefs need off to line help. Eichenberg would be the guy. And then for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, similar thing with the Bills. They brought back all 22 starters. I think there's a shot or shout that they could draft a quarterback here. They don't have any other quarterbacks on their roster other than Tom Brady. So Kyle Trask could be a guy here. He'd fit that kind of mold of what Bruce Arians does on offense. Strong-arm quarterback, bigger guy. If you look at the mold of Bruce Arians quarterbacks, that's usually what they look like. Bigger dudes, cannon arms. Kyle Trask is a very good arm. 
He can put the ball everywhere on the field. Again, go watch his game against Arkansas to see that. He's not that mobile, which could hurt him. I've seen Davis Mills linked here. Though 11 games started, he's a lot more athletic than Kyle Trask. So there's the potential there to learn from Tom Brady. I think they could draft an edge rusher. I think they could draft a defensive lineman. I think they could draft a corner. I don't know what they'll do. They could draft a running back, but they just signed Giovanni Bernard. I don't know what they're going to do. The Bucks and Bills, I'm completely in the dark about them. I'll have them posted up by tomorrow so or when the show goes out. So if you don't know, if you haven't looked at the draft yet, I would recommend going and look at it. If you've gotten to this point in the show, I'd recommend going and look at it because I'm completely lost. But yeah, that's Mock Draft 6.0 for the show's sake. For the actual draft, might change a little bit. Again, with the Titans-Saints situation, the Bills and Bucks, what they do. We'll come out with that a little bit later. But this was fun. I really like Mock Draft 6.0. And yeah, that's all I've got for you today on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Fun show. Fun show. I love Mock Draft Mondays. It's my favorite show to do. And I hope you enjoy it as well. So with that being said, that's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoy the rest of your Monday. Hope you enjoy your rest of your week. And I will hopefully see you guys on Wednesday. Peace.